preached on this before, but I'm glad to bring it to you again. It is Judges chapter 3, verse 31. I'm going to ask you, in honor of God's word, if you would stand with me while we read this one verse, and then I'll let you sit down. Judges chapter 3. It's okay if you have to look at the table of contents in the Bible. God loves you. It's okay. Judges chapter 3. Verse 31, I really want everyone to be there because there's only one verse, and if I start reading it and you're not ready, you'll miss it. Judges 3, verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I am grateful that even this one verse tells us about your greatness. And so, Father, as we study, I pray that you would help us to see the beauty of Jesus in these verses, in this verse. And God, I pray that we will glorify you as we do this. Father, help us to see the importance of one, that there is a significance in one person who is willing to be obedient to you and follow what you have called them to do. And so, Father, as we study, we ask you to give us insight that we might glorify you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There are just a few things I want to point out to you this morning from this verse. First of all, has anybody read this verse before? Anyone in the room ever heard of Shamgar before? Be honest. Yes, you are the rare ones. Because I will be honest with you, it wasn't until a little bit into seminary that I even heard of Shamgar. I know I'd read about him, but to be honest with you, I couldn't have remembered it if you hadn't told me. But once I did hear about Shamgar again, it changed everything. Because what we learn from Shamgar is something that is absolutely profound and something we cannot take lightly. Now, this is coming from Judges, right? This is a book that is transitioning. It's showing the transition of God's people from following prophets to following kings, right? That, the, that God had given prophets to lead the people. He had given leadership. But now there's a transitioning happening that God's going to give them a king. And the judges are that in between. What does God do between those two things? And in the book of Judges, we find a repetitive cycle takes place. What we're told in the book of Judges, chapter 2, is that people did what was right in their own eyes, right? That they did evil in the sight of the Lord, that all the people of God, right, the people God says are his people, actually spent all their time doing whatever they thought was right to them. They didn't give a concern to what God wanted. They just did what was right in their own eyes. And what God tells us is that the people would stray from him. They would turn away and follow after what they wanted. And God would raise up a judge who was a leader who would point God's people back to following him. They would repent and turn back to God and start following him. And then the judge would die and they'd go back to doing what they were doing before, each one doing what was right in his own eyes. Repeat, right? Rinse and repeat over and over again. Every single time. Uh, they, the people went astray from God, did what was right in their own eyes. God raised up a judge to bring them back to himself. They all turned, repented, went back to God. The judge dies. Start over. And this repetitive cycle should mean something to you because this is what you and I do every single day, right? This is, what, this is the story of our lives, right? That, that, that even as Christians, we still battle this, right? That, that 
that we start to go astray from God. We start to do what we want to do. God brings people into our lives who point us back to him. Now we have his word, which is beautiful, right? We have the Bible that can point us back to who he is. We repent. We turn back. And then before you know it, next week we're back doing the same thing. We're wandering after stuff. And then God's got to remind us and bring us back to himself. Well, in this list of judges, there are some mighty heroes of the Bible. You know some of them. Who are some of the judges besides Shamgar? You can't say Shamgar now. Who are some of the judges that you know of? Samson, right? The last one, the one that a lot of people remember. Anybody know any other judges? Say that again. Deborah, the only female judge, right? Samson. Say that again. No. Say that again. Now, see, now you're getting deep. Now you're just showing off. See, everybody, Randy's going to show off. He's going to show. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Othniel is one. That's right. There are some other big ones. One starts with a G. Gideon, y'all remember that story, right? If not, you need to read it. It's still in the Bible. You can read it. It's great. Uh. All right, so let's, let's, let's stop there, right? That's, that's good enough for now. But here's what I want you to get. I want you to get that in the list of these judges, some of them are big, huge names that you remember. And some aren't. But each one was used of God for his purposes. And what we see in the story of Shamgar is an insignificant dude who God used to accomplish what he wanted to do. And it's a beautiful thing because it should matter to you and I that God uses this guy in such a way. So let me walk you through this one verse. And just so you know, you should be excited because how much can I really pull from this, right? You're like, man, we're going to get done quick. Uh, We'll see. But I want to point you, first of all, to his name, because his name means something important in the fact that Shamgar is not an Israelite name. Now, wait a second. I thought God would just call up Israelites to lead Israel. Well, here we actually have an example of Shamgar, who has a name that's not an Israelite name, which means God's using a non-Israelite to lead his people back to himself. That's, uh, that's kind of odd. That should, that should mark your attention, that he's using a non-Israelite to lead his people. Shamgar will lead them back to God, even though he's not of Israel. That's something else. So Shamgar, while he doesn't have an Israelite name, we also know that he doesn't have much about him that would get your attention. We're told he's the son of Anath, which most theolog- theologians believe is not actually his daddy's name. That Anath is the name of the military group he was a part of. And the military group was actually named after the goddess of war. All right. All right. Anybody catching this that so far we got a guy with a non-Israelite name who appears to be part of a military group that was named after a false goddess. And he's going to be the one to lead God's people back to God. Uh, <laughs> see, see, God can use... One guy to do some unbelievable things. And that one guy would be one of the least expected guys to ever be used by God. So Samson, we're to, uh, Shamgar, we're told after him. So this means after the judge who preceded him, which was Ehud. By the way, don't read that story right after lunch. Read, read that story after you've had a chance. The story of Ehud is one that is quite interesting. You will never forget it once you read it. But we're just told that after him came Shamgar, the son of Anath. And what did Shamgar do? 
he killed 600 of the Philistines. That's a big deal. Man, that, that, that's God using someone in an unbelievable way. I mean, think about it. He killed 600 Philistines. Just so you know, in the history of Israel, the Philistines were one of the major enemies they had. So this is a big deal. Shamgar would slay 600 of the Philistines. Yay, Shamgar. Except when you read Ehud. You know how many people Ehud killed? 10,000. So Shamgar follows up Ehud, and I'm sure Ehud is like, 600, that's cute. That's cute. But see, God didn't call Shamgar to slay 10,000. God called Shamgar for his 600. See, Shamgar didn't have some massive victories that everybody would look back on and go, wow, that was impressive. He just did his small little part, right? One little guy who didn't have an Israelite name, who was actually part of a military group named after a fake goddess, he's the one who God's going to use to slay 600 of what would be Israel's one of their biggest enemies. He didn't have massive victories. He just had his own small-sized victory. And I think God's telling us something, right? Because anybody who comes up after Ehud would go, well, if you didn't get to 10,000, you're just, you're, you're lacking, you're not as good. You didn't do as well. Your victory pales in comparison to theirs. But what God is showing us in Judges chapter 3 is that Shamgar was absolutely obedient, and his obedience meant he was going to slay 600 Philistines. See, God can use one person in what seems like a seemingly insignificant victory for his glory. But then when you get right down to it, that 600 people, that seems like quite the number when you figure he did it with an ox goad. Does anyone know what an ox goad is? Okay, just so, just so you know, all the people saying no, I'm with you because I didn't know either until I studied this. Because just so you know, I'm not a cattle rancher. I'd hate to break it to y'all. I, I didn't grow up on a farm. I didn't have any cattle, so I can't relate to this. But apparently, when you deal with cattle, sometimes you need to move them, and they don't move. Sounds like children, right? You got to move them, they won't move. So in order to make the cattle move, they would have a stick, right? <laughs> it was about 8 to 10 feet long. It had a sharp metal end to it. Well, sharp-ish. I mean, it, just, it, it, it wasn't a club. It was more like a spear, but it had a metal, metal end to it. And what they would do is they would... Right? You'd cattle prod them. Right? We got those today with their electric. You can go... You can just get them going. Get them moving. Right? Which, by the way, if they ever do come with a kid's version of that, all for it. Go. Load dishwasher. But what they did is they had a stick, and they would... Goad them to get them to move. You have to stick them, get them going. Now, the other side of it actually had a curved part which would, use to, would be used to clean plows off. What does this tell us about Shamgar? 
Well, that's true. He's a bad, he's a bad man with jam, isn't he? He could use an ox goat. But what's it telling us about him? Shamgar has an ox goat. You got a picture of it? Oh, baby, yeah, don't want one of those coming at you. It tells us that this, probably, this guy probably isn't some big to-do. He's got access to an ox goat probably because he's hanging out with cattle people. And so Shamgar is raised up by God to lead the people of God back to himself, and he picks a guy who's probably around cattle, and all he got to fight with is a stick. Need I remind you, the Philistines had a little bit more than a stick. So the fact that God used Shamgar, who is insignificant, for a victory that seems minute, and he used something that would be an improvised weapon. It wasn't even something you would use. You saw that picture. Is that something you would normally use as a weapon? No, you would have a thousand other things you would use first. But he knows God's calling him to do this, and he's going to do it even if he's got to do it with an ox goad. Don't underestimate one guy, one woman, willing to stand up and do what God has called them to. God can do unbelievable things through one person. This should mean something to you as a Christian, because it means you are able to impact the kingdom of God as a Christian. And you may not have the same resources as everyone else. You may not have the significant name that other people have. But guess what? You can be used of God just like Shamgar was. And then I want to point out to you that as a result of what God was doing, we're told that he also saved Israel. See, God raising up Shamgar was actually for the benefit of the whole group. One guy and his obedience to God was for the benefit of the entire people of God. Don't underestimate that God can use one person to do unbelievable things. The Bible's filled with stories like that. Can anyone think of any other stories from the Old Testament where God used one person in a mighty way? Say that again. Ruth. I thought you said Bruce. I was like, man, that's a great story. I forgot about the story of Bruce. No, you're right. Ruth, right? Any others? Y'all like to go to the insignificant ones. You like to, you like to test your Bible knowledge, don't you? I love it. Any big, any big stories? Daniel, David. Say that again. Jonah, Ezra. Esther, that's a great story, by the way, of God using one person. Oh, Amanda, Esther, right? Everybody, if you've not read Esther, go read Esther from the Old Testament. It's an unbelievable story of God using one person mightily for his glory. Uh, there's one that's near and dear to my heart. You want to know who it is? Well, that's true. Okay, we just robbed it. Okay, Moses. How about Noah? The whole world was going to be obliterated. Everyone was going to be wiped out except God saved Noah. And through him, the entire human race would continue on. That's a pretty big deal. And remember, Noah was being called an idiot. He was called crazy because he's sitting there building this huge ark in the middle of no water. But God using one person. Joseph was another one mentioned. And all of those people are meant to point us to 
who? Jesus. Every single one of those stories of God doing unbelievable things through one person culminates, wraps up in Jesus coming to this earth. Because what God was demonstrating was that he could save the world through one sacrifice through his son. See, all of these pictures are ultimately pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the one who in him we can now glorify God and be on mission for him and we can actually be effective in telling people about Jesus and seeing them come to faith in Christ. All of those stories, they leave you wanting more. You know why? Because all of those people eventually sinned against God except for Jesus. Even those great people that God used for his glory to lead his people back to himself, even they failed along the way. But they were supposed to be getting us ready for the one who wouldn't fail, the one who would draw God's people back to himself. And not just for a little bit, but for all time. The one who would not just rescue us from our sin, but give us eternal life and give us a purpose to witness and to share the glory of God to the ends of the earth. This whole story is about Jesus because what Shamgar did in his obedience was simply give you a shadow of Christ who would come. One person obedient to God, using whatever means he has, and God uses that to save his people. See, I, I, as a Christian, I don't have to sit around wondering, wow, can God do amazing things through us today? Or was this just stories from the Bible and it's not, you know, that's, that's how God worked back then, but he's not going to do the same thing now. Or is every single one of these stories just a picture of the fact that God continues to do that today? That the same spirit that was at work in these mighty people God raised up to lead his people is the same spirit that's at work in every single Christian who's in this room right now. Moms, that's good news. Because it means you can, in obedience to God, reflect the character of God to everyone you come into contact with. You're able to witness and share the goodness of Jesus, and you can be just as effective as all the mighty heroes of the Old and New Testament. That you can do that. That we as Christians can impact the world for God. Not because we're great. Because just so you know, Shamgar... He's only mentioned one other place in the Bible, and that's two chapters later, just talking about him in the list of other judges. Once you get past that, you never see Shamgar's name ever again. You know why? Because it wasn't about Shamgar. It was about the God who would raise up a man like this to do what God called him to with what God gave him. And God would bring results that lasted forever. Oh, that's good news as a Christian. Because he does the same thing today. Every single Christian must be about.
the mission of God. And what is his mission? That all the nations would worship him in spirit and in truth. That every person whom God has created would be redeemed to sing his praises forever. And we get to be a part of that. We get to take Jesus to people who maybe have never heard of him or have heard of him, but they don't know who he really is. And God can make you just as effective in sharing the gospel with them as he was with Shamgar and Ehud and Gideon and Deborah and Samson and all the others. And that's good news. The problem is most of us aren't on that mission. Most of us are just spending our days, living our existence, trying not to mess up, trying to make do, instead of realizing that God has given us an ultimate purpose to take Jesus to everyone who has never heard of him. Because there are people who are searching for satisfaction and hope in anything they can find. But God says in Psalm 16, at his right hand are pleasures evermore. You want to know where you're going to find ultimate joy? Ultimate satisfaction, the right hand of God, the presence of the Father who has given everything to rescue you. Oh, the good news is no matter how bad your life has looked, no matter how sinful it's been, God is supremely gracious and loving and he forgives people through the blood of Jesus. And he's not asking you to earn it. He's not asking you to clean up your life and come cleaned up. He's telling you that all he requires is that we confess our sin and we repent and we believe that Jesus paid the price for us on the cross, that his death on the cross was to save us from our sin. And God says if we call upon his name and we seek his forgiveness, guess what God does? He forgives and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. See, that's a better gift, moms, than a plant. The greatest gift God gave all of you was he gave up his own son, that you might not be under your sin any longer, but that you might be children of God, forgiven through the blood of Christ. And then once you've been forgiven, you would go to every person you come into contact with and say, guess what? I have found where joy is. I have found where hope is. I have found where life is, and it's in Jesus. You may be insignificant, but it's not about us. It's about the big God who works through very insignificant people to change the world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. And I thank you for the truth that even in the lives of those who we consider insignificant, God, you are displaying your power, your glory. God, you're displaying your greatness in the fact that you use people like us who aren't great by human standards, and you use us, Lord, to point people to the beauty of Jesus and to call them to trust in him. That, God, we can be effective in the kingdom just as we are as believers. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help every Christian Every member of Fairhaven, God, I pray you will help us to realize that you can use us insignificant people to accomplish great things for your kingdom. And God, we ask you to do that. We ask you to use our families, to use our jobs, use our lives, use everything that you can, God, to help us to take the good news of Christ to those who desperately need to hear about him. 
those who are struggling to find significance, those who are struggling to find satisfaction, those who are struggling to find joy, and God, that you might show them that in Jesus all those things are found. And Lord, you're not asking us to earn it. You're not asking us to be good enough. You're saying that your son was perfect and his death on the cross was sufficient to save us from all of our sin. So God, for every person in the sound of my voice, I pray, God, that every person is trusting in you. They're realizing that it was only the death of Jesus that could pay for our sin, that his resurrection from the grave showed that you accepted his sacrifice forevermore. And God, help us to trust in you. Lord, if there's anyone here who's trusting in their own works, I pray, God, you'll help them to see they cannot earn salvation. You've simply called them to turn to you, fall before you, ask for forgiveness, and know, God, that you forgive and that you forgive to the uttermost. Oh, Lord, rescue hearts today for your glory. And Father, help us as Christians to not forsake the mission you've given us. But God, we would love to tell other people about Jesus. We'd love, God, to point people to your greatness. And God, help us to see that you will make us effective. Not because of us, but because of your great power. So Lord, like Shamgar, may we just simply be obedient to do what you've called us to do with what you've given us. And God, we'll trust you for the results. God, may you expand your kingdom across the globe because of insignificant people living in obedience to you. Help us to do that here for your glory. God, on this Mother's Day, I pray you'll help us to see that the greatest gift ever given was not flowers. It wasn't chocolate. It was the king. So, Father, help us to glorify you. Lord, work in hearts for your own glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.